Amen. Good morning. Everybody's awake? Yeah? Good morning. Good morning. There you go. We got some people awake. I love it. Today we're going to be doing another of our installments of our counseling sermons. Um, and I love doing this because it serves a different purpose. Um, Sam and I, we've talked about this a lot, and um, one of the reasons why I do these every six to eight weeks is he does such a phenomenal job walking us through Scripture, teaching us Scripture, helping us see God in Scripture, and, and I love that. And I often question, should I even, should I even do this? Because that's so good. I don't want us to miss that. But, but he encouraged, and, and we've decided that we want to do this because this is an opportunity for us to help you all think biblically, to think biblically about your heart, to see when sin's got a stronghold or what idolatry looks like or all those things that any of us can find ourselves ensnared in, to have the, the tools, to have the resources to understand how that works, to understand how Satan uses our sin against us. And so um, I'm grateful to get to do this. I'm grateful that we get to have another day of this, and we're going to be talking about and continuing our series on idolatry. Last time that I came up here, we talked about the idol of control. Today we have a new idol to talk about, and I'm going to tell you later when we get there. First of all, <laughs> save, save a little in anticipation, right? But before we get there, I want to do some review on idols and how idols work, because in order to really see a particular one, we need to see how they work overall and how they function and how do we get here in the first place. And so if you have your Bibles, which I'm sure you do, um, knowing how we do things around here, we're going to be turning to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And I just want to set up, talk through idolatry, and we're going to review some of the things you've already heard uh, to make sure we're all on the same page, and then we'll jump into our particular one today. But before I do that, I want to pray for us again. I want, to, I want us to calm our hearts. I want us to, for the next I don't know how long it's going to take me. <laughs> I was about to say the next 45, 50, whatever minutes it takes. Um, I want us to be dialed in. I want us to shut out the rest of the world, shut out the fact that we're about to go serve, shut out the fact that we got things to do, shut out the fact that we all have our own stresses we come in with. And I want us to be able to really settle in this morning and just think about what God has to say to us, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll read from Exodus 20. Father God, I thank you again for this opportunity. God, for this, this morning that we get to come together and we get to hear from your word. God, that you give us instruction when it comes to things like idolatry that can destroy us and enslave us, but you give us the freedom and the hope that we need. God, that we can be able to see who you are and what you have to say to us through it. And God, I pray for all of our hearts that we would just be in the moment that we would see you and hear from you right now, that you would calm our hearts, clear our minds, and God, show us yourself through all this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus chapter 20. This is coming on the heels of, of Moses going up to Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments from God, and so Moses is sharing this with the people, and he says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we see God, he's laying out this first and most important commandment, that we would have no other gods before him. And this is a call to worship. We know this because when we look, when he warns against them, what does he say you sh in verse 5? You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Bowing down and, and serving these idols are representing worship. Well, when he says you should have no other gods before me, it's you should worship no other god other than me. That it's about God, that it's about Him, that He is on, the only one worthy of worship. He's a jealous God and He deserves our worship. But also it's secondarily protective of us. 
right? That you should not bow down, that you should not put other gods before me because it will be a, 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 a slavery to you. And it's secondary to God. So we see that worship is why we do what we do. God gives us this first and greatest commandment because he created us to worship. That's the first thing that we do. That's, that's what we do. That's what we're made for. That's what our hearts desire and crave. Right? So in other words, idols are just the object of our worship. That's all it is. Worship is any person or thing that we seek, we serve, sacrifice for, spend our time and money on, speak about most, trust in most. That's what worship is. Like God said, don't have any other gods before me. Put nothing in that place. Don't bow your knee. Don't spend your time serving and seeking these other gods. And the thing about worship is idols are a means to worship and to serve ourselves. When we are looking at this idolatry, God is saying, put no other gods before me. The reason why we would put any other god before God himself is to serve ourselves. We have to understand that that's part of idol worship. That is the main thing of it. That these things, these idols, have these promises and have these things that we want for ourselves that we think will build our own kingdoms up, that will build our own hearts up, and so therefore we make idols to do that instead of serving and honoring and worshiping the God who created us for his worship. It's about him, right? So what are some truths about idols? Let's go through some review before we get to our main one today. Idols have something that we want. We create them because they have something that we want. Whether it be fame, popularity, security, happiness, love, hope, right? Whatever it is, it has something that we want, right? I idolize my job because I think it's going to give me the success and the security and the hope that I want. I idolize my relationship because it's going to give me the success and the hope and the security that I want. It has something that we want. And we can make idols out of anything. We make idols out of everything. We have multiple idols. That's what we do. We're idol-making machines, right? So idols have something that we want. Number two, idols promise to give us hope and security that we were looking for. I'm going kind of fast on this because I've went over it before. Just want to review. But idols promise to give us, give us the hope and security we're looking for. If I could just get married, then all my dreams would come true. I won't feel lonely anymore. I'll, I'll have that companion. I'll have that love. I'll have that something that I want, right? And we'll compromise and we'll make relationships and even our marriage an idol. If I could just make a lot of money, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't struggle. I'd be comfortable. I could do what I needed to do. We can even turn that into, and I could just, I could serve God better. I could serve God more. Like if I had more money, then I could do more, right? Like, God, why don't you give that to me? You know, right? We do that. We even manipulate God in, a, in our own minds. No, we don't actually manipulate God. We think we do, right? All my problems would go away if I just had that. Idols promise to give us hope and security that we're looking for. Last but not least, and maybe most importantly, idols lie to us. Idols lie to us. Idols promise everything, and they take away everything. That's the truth that we have to constantly put in our minds. Idols promise everything, and they take away everything. Anybody remember the, the movie Pinocchio, the Disney movie? It's one of my favorites as a kid. It's pretty old, but I always, when I think about this truth about idolatry, I think about how he just wanted to be a real boy. He goes to that guy who oversees the carnival with all the kids can come, and it seems like, that's awesome. I get to be free. I get to be who I want to be. And then he takes them away, and he finds out really quickly it's slavery. It's not freedom at all, and he's wishing that he'd listen to his father, right? That's what idols do. They promise everything, and they take away everything. So how do idols function? We want to be God, so we create idols to represent the things we want for ourselves. That's how it functions. That's ultimately what we want. That was the original sin. Adam and Eve had it good until Satan convinced them that they could be like God, and they wanted to be, right? That's how it started. So since our hearts are worshiping hearts, we are idol-making machines. We can turn anything into an idol. This makes the idols of our hearts very complex. So. In order to find freedom, our idols 
from our idols, we must first understand how they function. I get this from Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. It's a great structure for this. And so you've heard me talk about before, deep idols versus surface idols. Deep idols are the result of sin corrupting our deep motivational drives, power, approval, comfort, and control. These are motivational drives God put in us. It's there. We all want these four things, these deep motivational drives. But they're just meant to be found in God, right? But, but our sin corrupts them, and we begin to want them for ourselves in the way that we want them, right? And so as we see these idols cre creeping up in our hearts, surface idols are the things that we seek and serve in order to satisfy the deep idol. The service idols are things like money, relationships, kids, spouse, success, fame, whatever, fill in the blank. They're just meant to serve this deep motivational drive I talked about last time with control. You could take the same surface idol and you can put it on all four of these, right? If you take control, money then is a way of being able to control my circumstances and my safety and security, right? I can. I make enough, I can hoard it, I can kind of control. If anything bad happens, we got enough to like fix it and take care of it, right? If your deep motivational idol and drive is approval, money can be a way of, you know, buying the next cool thing that people look up, you know, I have keeping up with the Joneses, I can go out, buy people's stuff, like it can be a way of serving that idol or comfort. I'm going to store up and save, and I'm going to retire early, and I'm going to sit on the beach and, and sip nice drinks and look at the waves the rest of my life. I'm going to just be comfortable, right? Or power. Money can be a way of lording over other people and, and, and being in control of other people in that way. So you can take anything and make it a service idol to, to serve these deep motivational drives. So the one we're going to talk about today is the idol of approval. Anybody think that they might be able to relate to this deep motivational drive of approval, <laughs> right? This is one where I think we're all going to relate a little bit because all of us in the world that we live, I think, struggle with this, myself included. This is a big temptation. This deep idol of approval, right? It's when we put our worth in our characteristics, our looks, our weight, our personality, our achievement, our ideas, in order to gain adoration from, from others. We begin to ask questions to ourselves internally. Will I fit in? Will they like me? Will I be good enough? Will I, will I be able to do the right thing in the right situation? Will my boss think highly of me? Like we start to ask those types of questions and it's because we want our, our worth, our characteristics to be good enough and we find our worth from that, right? And so today we're gonna really hone in and think through and talk about this idol of approval. So what are the promises of approval? Let's spend some time thinking through this. Because in order to find ourselves um, bowing down, worshiping an idol, there's got to be some belief tied to it. There's got to be a why. Why would, we, why would we seek our worth in approval? Why would we do this? Well, some of the things that we see, and I've learned over my time in counseling as well as just we see all throughout Scripture, and one of the things I'll tell you, this one was tough. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it should be tough because approval seems to be one of the easier ones to talk about. And in some ways it is. Some ways it was harder because I love to find a passage of scripture and just walk through it and just kind of show all aspects and expose. But approval is one of those that you can't just take one because it's all over scripture. We see it all over the place. So finding the right passages to kind of fill in and, and really see approval in its fullness was difficult this week. And so we're going to be looking at a bunch of different things as we walk through this, but the promise of approval, we see this all over scripture. And the first promise is to be known. The first promise of approval is if I gain approval, I will be known. Being known is a great desire amongst all of us in our hearts deeply, right? We're constantly asking questions like, do I matter? Do I matter? Would anybody notice if I wasn't around anymore or if I didn't do this thing? Right? Do I matter? Or where do I belong? We're constantly trying to figure out, 
that social group, that place at work, that place in our family, when approval is our, our deep motivational drive that we're serving and then we have that idol going on, these are the questions we're asking. Do I belong? Do I matter? And we equate being known to our worth. If people know me, if people see me, if people appreciate these things, if I find my place, then I'm worthy. And that's a dangerous one, right? It's a dangerous one. We see this, this is a big drive in our world right now with social media. We're constantly seeing anxiety, depression, and suicide rates linked to social media, social cyberbullying, all these things. We see it especially with our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. And, and to some of us who didn't really grow up with that being primary, we just kind of came into it later in life. It's like, why would that even matter? Why would that work? But, but it's just another platform for us to seek a place to be known, to find our worth, to find a place to matter. If I post these things and I get enough likes and people say all these things like, man, I'm doing something worthy, I'm doing something good. If people comment poorly or bully, I feel worthless, it's dangerous. And we can apply that to all, all aspects of our life, but that's one place we're seeing it right now. But we do the same thing in, in our service, even at church, or in our place at home, or amongst our family and our family members, right? Do I matter? Where do I belong? I just want to be known. The second promise of approval is a promise to be loved. I want to be known, and I want to be loved. And if I gain approval, I will be known, and I will be loved. That's a promise that it makes. We're asking these questions a lot. Are there people who really love me for me? We're constantly testing those borders and waters. Like, do they just want something from me or do they really love me? But we create this cycle, but I'm always doing things to try to get them to notice me, but then I question, do they just notice me because I do that thing or do they actually love me? It's this weird cycle that we get into, right? And we'll talk more about that later, but basically it's because the promise of approval doesn't hold up. So we're in that cycle. You long for the aff affirmation from friends, family, coworkers, church family, even perfect strangers on social media, as we've already talked about. Just looking for it anywhere and everywhere that we can get it. We may even go into thoughts of, is there someone who wants to commit to lovingly, loving me intimately? I'm not just talking about husband and wife relationship. I'm talking about friendships, too, but both. Right, this, someone who really wants to know me, really wants to be close to me. And then in relationships, even further, someone who wants to spend their life with me. Right, I remember um, for myself, even dating in like high school and thinking these things, because I grew up in a, in a home that was not happy, that my mom and dad are still together, but you definitely wouldn't call it a healthy relationship. It's verbally abusive. I'm pretty sure my mom stays because she's a Christian and I think my dad could care less. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, is like, then I would see other people's relationships and I would long for that. Like, I, I want that. And then being very anxious of like, will that happen? Like, if you get that, like, will it stay? You start to see divorces. All my friends around me, families are being divorced all the time. And so you're wondering, like, does that, like, the commitment to marriage does it even matter anymore? Does it even hold up, right? These questions. Will someone commit? And if not, then there might be something wrong with me. There's another place that our head goes, right? Because approval promises that we'll be loved. So the opposite is if we're not, then it has something to do with me, right? You may need someone in your life to feel that you have meaning and worth. You find yourself, if this is something that you struggle with, the idol of approval, you may find yourself being needy. Being a person that, like, you, you just, you don't want to lose that, so you'll constantly be checking in in an insecure way even, right? And unfortunately, a lot of times that, that can destroy relationships, right? That desire to have a relationship so badly and making a God out of it can also be the thing that destroys it. It's dangerous. 
So, approval promises that will be loved, that will be known, that will be loved, and last but not least, that will have value. That will have value. And there are other promises that it has, but these are just the, the major three. That value, why am I here? If others find me valuable, then I am valuable. If I'm able to make a difference in the lives of other people, then I will have purpose. And my life has meaning. And if I'm not valuable, if others don't find me valuable, then why am I even here? Unfortunately, I've heard these things talked about and, and lived out in the counseling room. I've sat across from people who have attempted and contemplated suicide with these very questions, with these very beliefs. They had put all their hope and their value in approval, the approval of others, and they weren't finding it, and they felt like their life had no meaning and value. And maybe some of us in this room have found ourselves in that same boat, in that same place. We have to be careful, right? Because remember, idols lie to us. They promise, the idol of approval promises that will be known to be loved and that will have value but it can never deliver upon those promises. So what are some of the negative effects of resting in the idol of approval? What are some of the negative effects of resting in this idol? The first one I don't think you would guess, but fear of failure. Fear of failure. It's not one that many guess often, but often we don't try things because we're afraid that we will fail and lose the approval of others. That fear of failure. If I fail, then I will lose the respect of others. Or if I fail, then I will prove that I don't belong. Or if I don't try my hardest, then I can't fail. Many of us are afraid to try, are afraid of losing. It causes us to cower in a lot of ways. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to make the people upset. It causes us not to say the thing that needs to be said. It causes us really not to love other people well because we're so worried about losing our own identity and our own approval. And a lot of times, people who kind of seem like they don't care, right? I don't really care about these kind of things. It doesn't really bother me. I don't ever really try. You're lying to yourself. You do care. You care deeply. You've just chosen not to try because it's easier, because you're afraid of failing. So for some of us, we need to examine that because God's called us to try, to cultivate, to serve him, to make a difference. And so it's not okay to sit back and not try. But often we don't because we're afraid of losing it, losing the approval that we seek, losing this idol. So fear of failure. Second, fear of rejection. This one we would probably guess, right? Fear of rejection. We'll, we'll experience strong feelings of anxiety when in situations that may lead to rejection, right? Asking someone out on a date, <laughs> right? Oh man, I really want to, I really want to go out with her, but she's out of my league. If I ask her, I'm gonna look stupid. She's gonna think I'm dumb. I'm not going to. Hey, will you go like talk to her and see if she's like kind of interested, you know? So I can kind of check my chances out, you know, I want to test the waters without putting myself out there, right? Or go to one of her friends and have her ask her and come back and tell you, right? I would like to say this only happens in high school, but I know of many situations that are happening at the adult level the same way, right? <laughs> Trust me, it's comical to me as well, right? But yeah, fear of rejection. Or stepping out on beliefs that are different from your families. For some of us, this has been true as we've accepted Christ, that our families have raised us a different way, and they have a different philosophy or viewpoint. And to say that we believe this means they may no longer accept us. And so that fear, that fear of stepping out in those ways. 
or common things that we also know, like speaking in front of a crowd, right? Or leading in a certain way that people are going to look to us and listen to us and wait for us to talk. And just the thought of that gives you hives right now, <laughs> right? If I said, all right, I'm done, come up here, and I just like walked off, some of you would like vomit just for hearing it. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> Uh, it's true, because we care about what people think. And so in our minds, in that place, I'm looking out, and I'm thinking, what are they thinking about what I'm saying right now? Do they think I'm stupid? Do they think I have anything to say? They probably don't think that I, I just shouldn't be up here. What am I doing up here? I can't do that. I'm getting out of here. You know, like just these thoughts that go through our head. I know that so well because I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Um, I didn't like doing this originally. God just forced me into these places and I had to step out on faith and um, learn to trust him through it. And so I understand. But there's just a few, you know, just a few examples. There's plenty of others where we're afraid to be rejected. And, and once again, we find ourselves playing the coward in those situations, avoiding the situations that may cause us to, to be rejected. In severe cases, this can lead to avoiding social situations altogether. Some people struggle with that. They won't even go to certain places with crowds or have a hard time even coming out of their house to go to the grocery store. I've, I've counseled those in this, that sort of situation to where this idol of approval had grown so big and the fear of rejection of it had grown so big that I'm not even, I, I can't even put myself in those situations just in case I run into people that won't approve of me, right? Someone struggling with a deep level idol of approval takes rejection to heart and sees it as a complete rejection of their whole being. When someone rejects an idea, anything that you have to say, anything that you want to do, it's not just a rejection of that idea. It's a rejection of you because that belief's tied together because the approval idol, remember, had promised that I'll be known, I'll be loved, I'll be valuable. And so if they're rejecting that, I'm not valuable. I'm not loved. I'm not wanting to be known. There's something wrong with me. It's a rejection of the whole person. Right? So these first two were flight responses. You ever heard of fight or flight? Fear of rejection. Uh, fear of failure. This last one's a fight response. This is the opposite. Because I've talked about cowering, being afraid of, not doing things because of it. Well, this last one is a fight response. What do we do when, to be aggressive towards it? Defensiveness. If you struggle with the idol of approval, you may find yourself being extremely defensive. Right? You become defensive when you put yourself out there, express an idea, and it's not approved by those you seek approval from. And so I'm not going to cower. I'm going I'm to defend. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do. Because remember, if they're rejecting your idea, they're rejecting you, and you're saying, no, you're not going to reject me. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to show you that you should take what I'm saying. Like, this does matter. Even if you're wrong, you don't even care anymore. It's not about the idea of being right. It's about you're going to accept me. Many of us have found ourselves in that situation. Myself included, I'll give you a recent um, example between me and my wife. So I had this great idea for the hospitality team, which she helps lead. I thought it was fantastic. I'm not going to tell you the idea because it wasn't fantastic. <laughs> and I don't want you all to reject me. I'm just kidding. <coughs> no. I don't want you running to her and being like, hey, that is a good idea. I don't want to start any of that. Um, because, it, I mean, I still think it's a pretty good idea. But <coughs> nah. So we're sitting in our house, and we're sitting around. And I'm like, babe, I got this great idea. I think, I think it would take our, what we do on Sunday mornings up another level. You know, I'd heard another church, a mega church, doing something similar. And I'm like, oh, we could do that. We could probably even do it better. Like, I could see how that would help people feel welcomed, you know? So I lay it all out, just waiting for the, yeah, that's, that's awesome, we should do that. But instead, I was lovingly met with five different reasons why it was a stupid idea. <laughs> she didn't say stupid, but I got the drift, you know? 
uh, no, that's not a good idea because of this, because of this, and this would be terrible, and if we don't do it this way, you know, I'm like, hmm, all right, all right. So I went into about 20 minutes of defending why my idea was really great, and all her reasonings were bad, but she was right, and all her reasonings were actually way better than mine, and I was wrong. <laughs> and it took me about 20 minutes to realize, I'm just defending this because I just want her to say yes. I want her to say, yeah, babe, that was great. That was a great idea. Because I was finding some worth and just having that good idea. I just wanted my, I wanted my wife's approval in that moment. And she wasn't disapproving of me. She was very kind the whole time. But she was just saying, that's not a good idea. The logistics to pull that off, all the things go, that go into it, actually would cause a lot more problems than it would help. And she was right. And finally I had to repent and just be like, I'm sorry for arguing with you because it's, it's just an idea. Like, why do I care so much? You know, because I just wanted her approval. And so even though approval isn't something that maybe now I'm enslaved to or struggle with, it is something that I, from time to time, find myself fighting, just like all of us. And in that moment, I got defensive. I'm, I'm not usually the flight person. I'm the fight person, right? And that's just as dangerous because in doing so, we ruin relationships or we cause issues and fights that don't even need to be <clears throat> and we don't listen we don't respect what the other person's even saying we don't even realize that the other person may be trying to love us well by sharing the truth with us to help us because all we hear is rejection 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 you don't like me you don't want me i'm not good enough i'm not worthy enough and that's not the, what the other person is saying but that's just what we're hearing because we have this idolatry going on in our hearts of approval. But remember, idols promise everything and they take away everything. I continue to say that because if you get nothing else out of these sermons on idolatry, if you remember that, it'll be helpful to you. So what's this mirage of gaining approval? I call it this mirage because I have this mental thought of the mirages in the desert when people are really thirsty. I'm really thinking about this Disney cartoon when I was a kid with Donald Duck in the desert and he sees this paradise and then he goes and starts drinking the water and he's eating sand really because <laughs> what looks like his mind's playing tricks on him looks like a paradise. He's just actually in the middle of the desert. There's no real water, right? And that's a good picture of how idols work. So what's this mirage of approval? Well, the more approval you gain, the more afraid you are to lose it. See, logically, our thoughts are, if I try and I succeed and gain approval, then I will find joy and I will find peace and I will find all the things that I'm longing for. And that would be true if we were meant to serve ourselves, if we were meant to worship ourselves, if God wasn't meant to be the one that we serve and worship. That would also be true if man wasn't sinful and fickle. Right, that we could actually place our hope on the approval we gain from others. But it's not. And so the more approval that we, that we gain only leads to more turmoil. Because now there's more of a chance to lose it. Right? So, it's that person who's saying, I, you know, more popularity. Like, if more people like me, then I will feel approved of and I will feel worthy. But... You go from what if they don't like me to now they do like me, and now I'm afraid to do anything to lose the fact that they like me. So the more approval I gain, the more I have to lose, right? Or the businessman goes from, well, what if I don't get the job to now what if I lose the job? And so there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no peace. It just shifts. All right, I've got the thing I was longing for. Now what if I lose that thing? Now there's more anxiety, there's more fear. What if it gets taken away? What if I do something to screw it up? What if, they, what if I'm exposed for who I really feel like I am and they see that I'm not good enough and, and, and then, they, then it all comes crashing down, that'll be worse. And the anxiety builds, the depression builds, and there's never freedom and there's never joy when it comes to idols, especially the idol of approval. Because the thing we know about people, is their opinions change every day. And we all know that. 
So one day you may have it, the next day it could be gone. So if you're putting your hope in man's approval, you're setting yourself up for failure and you'll find yourself destroyed. So now that we've sufficiently decided we all struggle with the idol approval, <laughs> let's talk about what does the Bible have to say and how do, we, how do we change this? How do we get rid of this? How do we find our hope in something that's more, that's better? So let's look about three truths about approval and then we'll be done today. Yes, that was just the introduction. <laughs> Don't worry. We're on time. So three truths about approval. First truth that we need to spend some time on, and we've kind of already addressed it, is that man's approval produces slavery. Man's approval produces slavery. And if you struggle with the idol of approval, I don't have to convince you of this. You already feel this. You don't feel free. Every time you walk into a situation with people, you feel anxious. You're scheming and gaming in your head. You're wondering all kinds of things. You don't feel free. You don't feel comfortable. Right? Because man's approval produces slavery. Proverbs 29, 25. We're going to look at this one for a second. It says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So I'll say it again. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Now I think about that word snare. That says a lot. That describes a whole lot of things. Um, that's being said right there. I think about, anybody in here like to hunt? One, two, sweet, three. <laughs> Kirsty, she loves to hunt. And I think about this because there's some places where you can bait, bait deer to hunt them. And there's a lot of places that you're not allowed to do that. But baiting means, you, you know, you set up these feeders, you put this sweet corn and all this stuff, and the deer get used to coming to it. And so what happens is you put it out a few months before you, the hunting season actually opens, and all of a sudden the deer find it, they realize it's going to be there, it sets up this habit, and they, all they're thinking is, I want, I want that food. But at the same time in doing that, because deer are really smart, they got great senses, they can hear, you gotta be really careful and really clever to sneak up on a deer. Except for when you're baiting them. It gets a lot easier. Because they start to go against their own intuitions. Because all they're thinking about is the food that you laid out. They don't think as keenly they don't listen as intently. They don't think of the smells that they probably smell as they're coming to that place. Because all they're thinking about is the reward. And then they're like shooting fish in a barrel or shooting deer to feed her, I guess you should say. <coughs> and it makes it easier to hunt. Well, idolatry works the same way. Because, see, we have this desire inside of us already. We have this desire to fulfill the approval that's in our hearts. And then we take it upon ourselves to serve ourselves and worship ourselves. And we put up these idols that serve that idol of approval. And we stop listening to what God put inside of us. Because we know in the back of our minds that we weren't meant for this. But as we gain it just a little bit, and we seek it, and we get those rewards of other people's approval, and we put these things around us, it's like walking into a trap. That's why the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It leads to death. Sin leads to death. We see that in James 1, that sin produces death, right? It starts with temptation. Then we act upon it, and then it produces death. Romans 6, 23, the, the ways of sin is death. The fear of man produces death, you could say, because that snare in, is causing entrapment, slavery, ultimately, death, because that's not what we were made for. But that fear of man, that approval that we're seeking produces slavery that ultimately leads to death, because we stop thinking about what God has told us. Remember, 
God said, don't have any other idols before me. He made that very clear. Primarily because he's the one who deserves worship. He's the one who created all this. He's the one that set everything into motion. He's the one who created us for his worship. And that worship that we're seeking, that approval that we're seeking, is only satisfied in him. And when we don't, it produces a snare, and it leads to slavery every single time. But remember the second part of that verse. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. He sets it up because he deserves worship, but God is also secondarily loving to us. He's trying to keep us safe. And when we give in to idolatry, we're not safe. We will see death. Not just physical, but spiritual, emotional, on every level death. And for any of you who are tracking with what I'm saying, you already feel the sting of death. You know what that feels like. You know what that feels like to have that pit in your stomach and wondering these things and the anxiety that comes with it. You know what it feels like to cry yourself to sleep when you've been through something difficult and you feel rejected. You know what death feels like. You're not free. You're not safe. But for those who trust in the Lord, you're kept safe. This leads us to our second and greatest point in the area that we'll probably spend most of our time today is the desire for approval is satisfied in Christ. The desire for approval is satisfied in Christ. The best part is we don't have to wonder where to find this. It's satisfied in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 for a few minutes. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because I call it the identity passage. You want to know where your identity should be? You want to know where your worth is? Right here this tells us. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Note that. This is extremely important. This is who Paul is writing to, to the saints and who are faithful in Christ. So this, what I'm about to lay out for you, is for you who are in Christ. So if you're today and you have a relationship with Christ, this is for you. If you don't, which in this room, that's probably not true. <laughs> but just for those who are around us who don't have a relationship with Christ, what I'm about to read is not for them. It's not true of them yet. But he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Stop there. This should be enough. I'm about to read a ton more things, but this should be enough. You're given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Nothing's withheld. Nothing is withheld. We get God, first and foremost. In Christ, we get God. We get to have a relationship with God. Again, a personal relationship. We get to walk with Him every single day. We get to pray. We don't have anybody intervening for us any longer. We get to go before the Lord. We get to have God. We get to worship God. He's also our refuge when we face trials. He's our comfort when we're facing grief. He provides for us. He protects us. He gives us everything. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, do you think about that? I mean, just that alone, why would you want any other approval? The approval of man is such a secondary thing. It's, it's like going to the pig pen and eating slop when you get to sit at the king's table and have the royal food. Like, why would you do that? Look at what you're missing out on when you put your hope in that. But we go on. Number four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now I know some of you are thinking like predestination, predestination. What does that mean? Predestination. 
Today I'm not going to go through a whole discourse on predestination, but, <laughs> right, right, trust me, that would take a lot more time. <laughs> but here's what predestination should produce in us when we see that. Humility and gratefulness. Humility and gratefulness. That before the foundations of this world were put together in Genesis, he knew you. He knew you. He was already planning on adopting you. Like, that shouldn't produce a pride in us. That should produce humility. Why would he do that? Why in the world would he do that? But he did. We did. And he adopted us as sons and daughters. Think about that. In this day of time, I want to explain adoption real quick because it means a whole lot more when we understand what Paul was talking about when he talked about adoption. See, in the Roman time, and, and he speaks about this in Romans as well, when he talks about adoption, those who were adopted were no longer able to be disowned by the family that adopted them. But your biological children you could still disown. So now think about that. You've been adopted in Christ. You're God's. You're His. You're given this new name, this new family, this new worth, this new joy, this new greatness, this nothing that you've earned, and it was put together, put forth before the foundations of the world, and you will never be disowned by God for those who are in Christ. Why would you want any other approval? Let's keep going. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We've been redeemed through his blood. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Once again, you're adopted, you're an heir, you have an inheritance, you have a future hope. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were at fir the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're given God himself. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And he's our seal. He's our guarantee. Once again, we've been adopted. You're his. The saddest part about this is this has always been true of us as we've entered into a relationship with Christ. But none of us I shouldn't say none, but very rarely do we walk in that identity, that approval, that worth. You want to be known? You're known. You want to be loved? You're loved. You want to have value? You're valuable. Not because of you. Remember, every time we read this, what do you say? His will, according to His purpose, according to who He is. In Christ, we are redeemed. And that's a great hope and promise because it no longer and it never has hinged on your goodness. It was always because of his. It's yours, whether you acknowledge it or not. You are approved already. Walk in it. So, believer, repent. That's what we should do to respond to this. If you've been putting your hope in the promises of other people and their approval, repent. Put off that old self. Stop it. Renew your mind in this, the gospel, the truth of who you are in Christ, and walk in it. Walk in it. Because here's the other truth. When you're seeking approval for yourself, you're not loving anyone else. You're selfish. You're prideful. That's just what's true. But when you repent, 
and you find your hope in Christ and your approval in Him, you're free. You're free to love and serve others and point them to Jesus. And people see God through you. So repent. Repent. Last but not least, God's approval is extended to you. And this is for those, remember, we just read something that's true to the believer in Christ. But not everyone is. So God's approval is extended to you who are not. And if you're saying, well, this doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. Because we're the ambassadors that help people see this. God's approval is extended to those who do not have a relationship with God. One of my favorite verses, one of the most famous verses, lays it out very clearly. John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We just read about that in Christ, in Christ, because of Christ. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's not coming to condemn, you're already condemned. That's already true because of sin. Christ came so that we may have life. So that we may be called sons and daughters. So that we may be adopted. And that's extended to all of us. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Because of our sin, we already talked about, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. Romans 3.23, all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God, the redemption that we just saw in Ephesians comes through a belief and a hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When we confess him as Lord, as Romans 10, 9-10 says, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we trust in the resurrection, we will be saved. This will be true of you, can be true of you, and for those who have believed this, is true of you. So, as we close, the desire for approval has been woven into our hearts, but sin has corrupted it. The only thing that can satisfy this desire is to be restored into a relationship with Christ. And for those of us who have been restored to repent and trust in the hope that we've been given, then we can experience the, the great freedom and joy that comes from being approved by God. So that's my prayer for you today. That's my hope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for these opportunities that we get to have to look at your word. And God, as we read Ephesians 1, God, I pray that that would be true of all of us, including myself, that I would walk, that we would walk in the truth of our approval, the truth of the worth that you've given us, the truth of the blessing to be sons and daughters and heirs, that it's given every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you would our repentance if this has been a struggle for us if this has been an idol for us as we repent of making approval an idol and we find it in you that you would bring great joy and freedom to our lives and that through that change as you change us and you give us that freedom God the people around us would see you and that we would be the greatest ambassadors that they see our hearts change and they see the freedom you give us that they would want the same and that as you've extended that same mercy and grace to those who are around us, God, that we would see people come to know you. That we would see people lay, our, lay their lives down and humble themselves before you and accept the grace and the mercy that you've given us and experience the joy that it is to worship you and you alone. And I pray that in Jesus' name.